<laughs> and and so I just laughed along with everybody and quoted them in my when Dean Martin mm. and his act famous, would say famous that's a famous oh, scene oh yeah he's, you he says that pattern. you're in a cardigan and he's in a night night like <laughs> talking and I was like he's wasted a little bit like <laughs> yeah. you know doing and the he Dean Martin was <laughs> by the way yeah I bet. he did drink a lot sure now in, in his shows he would say that Pat Boone he's so religious. I shook hands with that boy the other day. My whole right side sobered up. <laughs> he sold over 50 million records over his seven-decade career and has recorded more songs than any other artist in history. He's a legendary singer, a Hollywood actor and personality, an author, a winner of countless awards, but more importantly, he's been a man of faith since he was 13. And at 89, he has an abundance of wisdom that we can all learn from. On this episode of The Walk, we feature a conversation with the remarkable Pat Boone. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, Joshua Swanson here with Worship Leader. Thrilled, honored, and privileged to sit with Pat Boone. Thank you Mm. for hanging with us, Pat. Well, I'm so glad to be with you. Worship leaders, people don't know this, but I've been a worship leader since I was a teenager. Yeah. Leading singing in the Church of Christ. We didn't have piano. We didn't have any kind of musical organ. Even it was questionable whether you should use a pitch pipe. Sure. Because our rationale was you don't read anything about musical instruments in the New Testament. Mm. And our famous saying is we speak where the Bible speaks and we're silent where the Bible is silent. They don't talk about anything in the New Testament about instruments of music, but praise, make music in your heart. So at 16, 17, and then on, I could get up in front of three or four hundred people, sing the wondrous love of Jesus, sing his mercy and his grace. I didn't know what this meant, but I was... <laughs> you were doing the music thing. <laughs> I was just trying to keep everybody singing together, yeah, yeah. just with my voice. And I didn't realize it was terrific vocal exercise. Mm. But that's not why I was doing it. It's true, it was great vocal exercise and training Mm. my leading worship as a teenager. Mm. And when I married Shirley at 19, that's what I thought I was going to be, was a Mm. teacher-preacher. Really? And I wanted to know more about what this meant, so I went to a big music school. (laughs) I mean, making time, beating time, whether three-quarter, six-eight, whatever. And I knew in a music school in North Texas State, I was going to learn more about the music I was going to use as a teacher-preacher. Well, since you brought that up and you told me off camera about your, your, when you were 16 mm-hmm. and what you said to the Lord, I oh. thought that was so special. And based on what you're saying, yeah. you're saying now about, Hey, I've been a worship leader. Can I tell you what that was? I'd love that. I think the audience would enjoy that. Uh, my, I have a brother. He's in heaven now. My brother Nick, he's a year younger than me. And we were at his memorial service just recently. And, and I was saying in, in this very somber occasion with, hundreds of people who knew Nick as a worship leader. Mm-hmm. But when I came came my time to spe- speak, I said, I've got an announcement to make. Nick Boone is alive. Amen. Nick Boone is not dead. We're, we're celebrating the life of Nick Boone, which has now taken him into heaven. Yeah. But he's very much alive, so it's not a time for mourning or weeping, except in gratitude, perhaps. Or mm-hmm. Anyway, when Nick and I were growing up together, we shared... In modest circumstances, my dad, a building contractor and an architect, but building his own company, which became Boone Contracting. Okay. And he thought surely his two boys were going to follow him into that. Yeah. <laughs> we wanted to go to a Christian high school, which he couldn't afford the tuition mm. completely for. So he put us to work as day laborers. And during the summer, we, we dug ditches and poured concrete, pushed wheelbarrows, toted lumber, and helped build the biggest Church of Christ in the nation next to the Lipscomb campus. Okay. But we were day laborers building that and earning the money to help pay the tuition so we could go to a Christian high school. So Nick and I shared into our late teens a a single twin bed and just bumping against each other at night. So I said, Nick, look, you you keep the bed. I'm going to go up in the attic. And we got a cot and put a table up there, a little desk, so I could do my homework and the lamp. And that became my penthouse was this <laughs> unfinished <laughs> raw attic with everything stuffed up in the attic like everybody else's. And that became my prayer chamber as well. 
Wow. So I remember looking out the window many times at night on my knees, looking up the window up Lone Oak Road, and uh, and praying, Lord, I hope I want you to use me for your purposes. Mm. And I, assuming now I'm going to be a teacher like my role models in high school, they were teacher preachers. And I thought, well, that's the most valuable way I could use my life. But whatever it is, Lord, I want. I just wanted you, you to use me for, to help other people and mm-hmm. for your purposes. Mm-hmm. So when I was inducted into the Gospel Music Hall of Fame eventually, yeah, it came clear, you know. <laughs> I'm going to need these Kleenex, but, why we got but God <laughs> heard the prayer of that 16-year-old kid. Yeah. Honored. Now, he took me a route that I would never have been. <laughs> There's so much more to come, including stories about Marilyn Monroe, Hugh Hefner, and Dean Martin. We'll be right back with more from Papin. Back to our conversation with Pat. I was preaching in a little country church in Slidell, Texas, and school at North Texas State, when a guy named Randy Wood called me from Gallatin, Tennessee, owned its big record company. He'd seen me on the Ted Mack Amateur Hour and the Arthur Godfrey Show winning national contests singing, but no no contracts, nothing, no job offers coming. So yeah. I thought, well, that was nice. I'll be telling my students eventually, I was once, you know, a singer. Right. right. Uh, on, and won some contests. But anyway, he called me, want to make a record? I said, well, sure. And so he sent me a ticket to Chicago. And I went in the studio, what am I recording? And it was a, <laughs> a rhythm and blues song by the Charms on the Dutone label. Hey. Now, I didn't know anything about r- rhythm and blues, but well, I I'm from Chicago, so now you're Chicago. talking my language. Yeah, now. Right. <laughs> and this song, I listened to over and over and over so I could do, do it as a solo singer with mm-hmm. some background singers mm-hmm. that the Charms had done as their group on the Dutone label, and it was already an R&B hit. Mm-hmm. One heart's not enough, baby. Come on. Two hearts will make you feel crazy. <laughs> One kiss will make you feel so nice. Two kisses take you to paradise. <laughs> two hearts, two kisses make one love. And so I got through it, you know, singing at the top of my voice and singing it till two in the morning. And Randy Wood said, we got a hit record. We got a hit record. I think it's a hit. And I went to sleep hoarse and wake up at nine. He said, we got a problem. What? Frank Sinatra just recorded that song. Doris Day just recorded that song. The Lancers, the DeCastro sisters have all recorded that song. And I'm the only unknown in the bunch. Hmm. So he, I've got to send you on a tour promoting that record. And he was a master of promotion, but he put, I did the uh, 20 cities in 18 days, just flying in and out, flying in and out, going to all the radio stations to promote my record. And I'd done it well enough that when I would walk into a studio with the promotion guy, got Pat Boone, he's got that record of two hearts, two kisses. Pat Boone, sure. What do you mean? Pat Boone's black. No, I mean, I mean... (laughs) It's, that's not that's not the guy singing that song too hard, because I captured enough of the feeling. Yeah, that they they thought well he, he's a black kid. Yeah, and in walks white white bread Pat Boone in my white buck shoes, and so I sing a little of it like that, and sure enough, then they played my record, and it became the number one record wow. of that song wow. over Frank Sinatra. His version of it is still on Amazon Music. You can hear him singing Two Hearts, Two Kisses. And you can tell he's not enthused about it. <laughs> and he tried to make it swing. <laughs> sure. You don't make rock and roll swing. <laughs> well, that be- okay. So that begs the question: You sold fifty million records. Yeah. How did you do that? That is a huge. Well, number. I didn't, of course. <laughs> Come on. I mean, I, I sang the songs yeah. for the first thirteen years uh, uh, on Dot Records. Randy Wood picked all the songs. Okay. And it, it started out picking songs that were rhythm and blues songs and doing what we call cover records. Mm-hmm. So that first one was a cover of uh, Two Hearts, Two Kisses by the Charms. Well, that was in March of 55. Now, May of 55, of course, rolls along and I have to do another record. So it's, you made me cry when you said goodbye. Ain't that a shame? Okay. That's Domino. And his record had was a number one rhythm and blues or race record. Mm-hmm. That's what they called it, race music. Uh, but R&B, it really literally was, rhythm and blues. His record had sold 150,000 and made him number one mm-hmm. R&B. Mm-hmm. I recorded his song, My Way, 
His was roll, mine was rock. His was you, me, boom, boom, me, cry, boom. Right. When you said boom. Oh, I know that song. And, but mine was you made, bop, bop, me cry, bop, bop. When you, mine was rock. His was roll, mine was rock. <laughs> and mine sold a million and a half, boom, like that. Wow. And of course, he said many times he made more money from my record of his song that I made because <laughs> I was getting a 3% royalty on my sure, record. Sure. He was getting 6% because he wrote the song yeah. and published the song. Yeah. And he was making more money from my record. People thought that who didn't live through the era that who, those of us who did cover records were stealing something or inhibiting or taking something from the career. No, you're blessing. No, we were crossing it over into yeah. pop, white music mainly. And Little Richard said, after I did Tootie Fruity, Wop Bop a Loo Mop, Balop Bop Bop, Little Richard said in a, in a black radio station when they asked him, the black DJ asked, How'd you feel when Pat Boone did your song Tootie Fruity? He said, I was still washing dishes in a bus station in Macon, Georgia. My record was on the air, on the radio, but I wasn't making no money. Mm. But when I heard Pat Boone did my song, I threw the towel down, walked out. I knew I was going to make some money now. And that was a fact. That was wow. the truth. Because wow. he wrote the song. Yeah. It became a, a a classic song, but he had sold his copyright, not knowing what a copyright was, sure. to some unscrupulous publisher mm. and for about 50 bucks. Sure. So, well, of course, he was livid about that later when he realized what a hit he had and he wasn't making that much money. But he wasn't blaming me right. because I helped make that song a major million-selling hit for me and for him. And after that, uh, for and people don't know this, but I hold a record for the longest contiguous string, week to week to week, of any singer ever in the top 40 chart. Yeah. Uh, records of uh, 220 or 30 consecutive weeks. Yeah, that's got to put you in four and a half years. Some crazy top and 10 more than any other artist, more than Elvis, more than anybody. That. Yeah, if you combine all these statistics, Pat, it's pretty overwhelming. And now 2,600 songs. Yeah. Well, and then relating that back to what you just said about your childhood and yeah. dedicating yourself to the Lord yeah. and saying, God, use me. Yeah. yeah. And then he gives you this and he platform. he gives me this platform, which I recognized from the beginning mm. was a platform. Mm -hmm. I mean, I didn't expect it to last. And I thought I would still wind up being a teacher, preacher, but telling kids, hey, listen, kids, I once had some rock and roll sure. records. I once did this or I did that. All this happened so fast that on the second record, ain't that a shame? I, surely I had to pack up, leave Denton, Texas, go to Teaneck, New Jersey. And we already had two kids by then. Wow. But by the time I graduated from college at 23 and was in my cap and gown on the cover of TV Guide, you open it up, and there's a picture of me, Shirley, and our four little girls. Jeez. And I'm 23, making movies, having hit record after hit record, doing television and concerts, and having my first command performance with the Queen of England. All of this happening so fast, and it's never let up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I knew that God was giving me a platform. We're going to take another quick break and segue to a conversation we had with Aaron Stewart, the co-founder of Planning Center. Aaron, along with his partner, Jeff Berg, have built an incredible company that provides a set of software tools that helps organize church services. So we thought it would be really interesting to glean from Aaron some advice on leadership. I think a huge one that overlaps with business and with worship leading is stop to think about why and explain why. People so often want to know why. Like, so in the church world, this is the kind of thing I would see. So I mentioned I worked at a church in Las Vegas. It was at the time the biggest church there. It was real flashy. It was a Vegas kind of church. They would host people that would come in and they would like see all these things. And be like, oh man, look at all these people that come to this church. We need to do that. I'm like, no, this is for our community here. Like this kind of thing works in Vegas. We're doing this thing to reach out to our community. That's why. So don't say, I'm just going to do that thing. Figure out why we're doing that thing and then translate it for you. It's like, okay, well, how do we, our community is different. How do we reach out to our community? From a business perspective, we make a lot of decisions of like what we're going to do. And it's, uh, and this has gotten us into trouble actually a lot over the years, because as our company has grown, when there were four people sitting around a desk, 
I didn't need to explain why. We were working on everything so closely together, we just all knew why. Now, um, as of today, there are 145 employees at Planning Center. I talk to some of those people one time a year. And so being able to communicate why we're doing this thing in a clear way helps everyone sort of like understand that vision and understand like, is that something that we should be doing rather than just jump into the solution? Thank you, Planning Center, for sponsoring this episode, which allows us to bring you conversations with incredible guests like Pat Boone. You can find out what Aaron and his team are up to at planningcenter.com. Okay, back to our conversation with Pat. You know, very strong temptations came my way, and not sure. that I was completely oblivious to them, but, but, uh, and there were times, there's one time period. Well, yeah, that's one of my questions, actually, is what in your career, yeah. you know, there's got to have been, have to have been opportunities that were presented to you that didn't align with your faith. What were some oh, of the I biggest was, opportunities? offered everything under the sun. Drugs sure. were not as big then, but they were prevalent. I mean, there was plenty of drug offers and things like that. Drinking, no. <laughs> On uh, Andy Williams' TV special, a TV show, Bill Harris, the band leader, a comedian of sorts, in, this was not in the script at all, but live on television, he said, Pat, boom, you do drink, don't you? I said, no, I knew he meant alcohol. Yeah. No. He said, oh, you, you don't drink nothing, never. I said, no. Milk, I drink milk. He said, <laughs> I got my favorite drink. There it is. Well, he says to Andy Williams, can you imagine waking up in the morning and knowing that's as good as you're going to feel all day long? And Andy was saying, no, he couldn't imagine it. And then he turned to me, he says, we kid you, pal. Look, we kid you. You know, if I had a son, I'd want him to be just like Pat Boone. Hey. Till he's about three years old. <laughs> and and so I just laughed along with everybody and quoted them in my, when Dean Martin mm. and his act famous, would say. Famous, that's a famous oh, scene. Oh, yeah. He's, you he says that. Pat You're in a cardigan and he's in a night, night like talking all his, like he's wasted a little bit like, <laughs> yeah. you know, doing and the Dean Martin. was, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I bet. He did drink a lot. Sure. Now in, in his shows, he would say, that Pat Boone, he's so religious. I shook hands with that boy the other day. My whole right side sobered up. <laughs> and and I would repeat that in my act. And I said, you know, it did. Yeah. <laughs> and then I'd go ahead and sing my song. That's, so it was just part of my image. Well, that's kind of a lesson, right, for everybody well, watching. Well, yeah, I mean, it was joking it. about it, but... Well, it, but people knew it was true. You took you took the wind out of their sails when you just kind of laughed it off and said, "But this is who I am." And it became so widely known yeah. that I would be traveling the country, be sitting with people in a restaurant. I'd order my food and I'd order milk with my meal, mm. and and I and I would lift a glass of milk, to, and and applause would break out in the restaurant. <laughs> They look, he really drinks milk. Oh, man, I wish I could have yeah. seen that. <laughs> but wow. so it was a blessing to me. People thought it was restrictive, maybe. Sure. Because I was turned down for movie roles. Mm -hmm. And I had to turn down movie roles myself. Mm -hmm. Like with Marilyn Monroe. They wanted me to make a movie with her when we were both under contract to 20th Century Fox, both making hit movies at the same time. Mm. So the head of the studio wanted me to make a movie with Marilyn Monroe, which of course I would have loved to have done, except the story was a very immoral story about a young kid who has an illicit affair with a, a still beautiful but older cabaret singer, comes to a small right. town to relax and recuperate, and, and they have this illicit affair, and the kid is swept away and wants to quit his school and marry yeah. her, and of course yeah. that can't happen, so she... Yeah. She leaves him brokenhearted, but he'll have that bittersweet memory of that. I said to the head of the studio, Mr. Adler, I can't do this. What do you mean? I said, it's, I have millions of fans. And what teenage boy wouldn't want to do what I'm going to exhibit? A young guy like him having an affair with Marilyn Monroe. I, I can't. He says, that's medieval. He says, you're an actor. You, it's not you. It's the part you're playing. Yeah. I said, no, but. But people will, kids will identify me with that character. I'm sorry. Right. Well, he didn't understand that you were stewarding a platform that was given right. to you. I couldn't tell him that. But right. I did say I have millions of fans and mm. and I can't play this. I'd love to make a movie with Marilyn, but I can't do this story. Sure. Well, he was livid. So he went in and did the movie with Joanne Woodward and Richard Beamer from West Side Story. Mm. It was a flop, a bomb. Mm. But he put me into Journey to the Center of the Earth 
which became a cult classic and told me later saved the studio from bankruptcy wow. when they were about to be shut down by the bankers because Elizabeth Taylor, Richard Burton and their affair they were having and they would leave the movie company in Rome waiting and they'd disappear to Spain or somewhere for a few days and just leave 500 extras in costume waiting around. Wow. And the bankers were fed up with it and were about to shut 20th down when Journey to the Center of the Earth came out and made such a hit at the box office that it, it, the it, it convinced it saved the studio is what they told me later. Wow. So it was good for them, but it was better for me because the movie became such a smash hit and uh, mm. and I and I did my first real movie kiss with Anne Margaret uh no no not on Journey that was with Diane Baker with in that movie yeah Journey to the Sunday there the real smooch with Anne Margaret was in State Fair later <laughs> but but Shirley had made me promise I, I know there's going to be some kissing mm-hmm. in your movies you got a seven year movie deal but just promise me one thing. I said, anything. You won't enjoy it. I said, I promise. I won't enjoy it. It's <laughs> going to be work, strictly work. Yeah. <laughs> and it was. It was sure. work. So obviously, fame has been a part of your life for decades. Yeah. And your faith has been a part of your life for decades, since you were a teenager, it sounds. Yeah. So how, how, how do you, fame is a tempting idol. How are you laying that down at the foot of the cross every day? Well, I knew at 13, barely 13, when I walked down the aisle, I'd done my own reading in the Bible. I, was, I wanted to know why I was doing this. I came to Matthew 10, 32, it, where Jesus says in red letters, If anyone, any man, anyone confesses me before men, I will confess him before my Father in heaven. Mm-hmm. If he denies me, I will have to deny him before my Father and mm-hmm. the angels in heaven. Barely 13-year-old can understand that. <laughs> you know, and so I walked down the aisle and confessed my faith and wanted to be baptized and wanted him to save me. And after I came up out of that water, I I felt different. Mm. I knew I was different and I knew I was a child of God. Mm. And that was so ingrained in me that that's what led to my prayer as a 16 year old and why. Uh, when I when the, all of a sudden the fame and career just fell on me, yeah. I mean I didn't seek it really, but it happened and it was and it could have swept me totally away and it tugged at me of course. Yeah, I wanted to be I didn't want to be thought of as a stick in the mud and a holy holy Joe and mm. holier than now. I didn't feel myself better than anybody, but I felt myself more blessed than anybody. Sure, and I wanted to share that with people. I was yeah. not ashamed of the gospel. Yeah, and and it was part of who I was. So that alone shielded me from a lot of things. I mean, I would be uh, a very attractive young woman would be talking very seductively with me. And I knew that I was being offered something, but I acted like I was naive and I didn't get it. Mm. (laughs) Protect yourself. sure. (laughs) Yeah. It was like there was a toothpaste that had a guard all shield. Whenever you brushed your teeth, it protected from infection. I felt my reputation. Thank God for it was protecting me mm. because I could just sort of live up to my reputation. Yeah. And uh, and, and people say, boy, he, he's really square. You know, he, I made a pass. He, had, he didn't even pick he, up on it. Right. He didn't pick <laughs> up on it. He had other opportunities. Sure. He didn't seem to get it. Yeah. Uh, well, I didn't care if they thought I was a little naive. Right. I knew I was in some ways naive, but not completely. I knew what was going on. Now I had sh- four daughters, remember. Well, yeah, that'll, that'll keep you straight. Man. <laughs> now, you shared earlier some of these really amazing stories about times when you were on live television conf- and people were essentially confronting you on your faith, whether yeah. it be poking fun at you or, mm-hmm. you know, kind of making you the butt of the joke, but mm-hmm. how you rolled with it. And I really thought that story with Hugh Hefner was unbelievable. I, I knew they knew about me that I was a Christian. Therefore, why not just come out and, and make the most of it? So yeah. I was on uh, Dinah Shore's show. Hugh Hefner was there on that same show with, uh, Barbie Benton, who he thought she thought was he was going to marry her, but some of us had a hunch that was not going to happen with Hugh Hefner. Uh, Diana asked me, "Do you subscribe to Playboy magazine?" I said, "No, I don't. I did once before, you know, while the girls were still partly clad. Sure. But then when I started having to hide my Playboy magazine under the bed, so my four daughters they weren't even teenagers yet." So they wouldn't see it. I said, what have I got at my house for? Why am I subscribing to it? Yeah. So I quit because it's now so much more, I think, reprehensible. Mm-hmm. And so then Diana said, well, what if your youngest daughter 
Laurie, who wasn't married yet, about 18, came and said, uh, they've offered me a playmate of the month. Mm-hmm. And, and she wants to do it. What would you say to her? And I said, well, I, it's not going to happen. I can guarantee it's not yeah. going to happen. But you ask. So I would take my daughter into a quiet part of the house to she and I have a real, very sober conversation. And then I would turn her over in my lap and spank the fire out of her. Because <laughs> if she was going to act like a child, I would treat her like a child. Well, I meant that jokingly. But Hugh Hefner, when he came out and he said, look, if Pat did what he said he was do, I couldn't use Laurie as a playmate because of the the handprints on her bottom. I mean, for him, that was just a funny joke. Yeah. And I went with it, just, uh, yeah, well, it ain't going to happen, Hugh. And so I said to him on the show, I had the opportunity, I said, I always look in the Bible to see if I find somebody that, that it reminds me of that person. Mm-hmm. And I found you for sure. He said, you did? I said, yeah. I said, Solomon. Solomon. I said, King Solomon, who had 700 wives. Yeah. You... He said, he has pipe in his mouth. He dropped, dropped his pipe. He must have been tired. I said, he was very tired. And he had 300 concubines, mistresses on the side. All he could think about was him in that position. Sure. And he said, boy, he had to be tired. And I said, he was so tired, Hugh, that in all of his famous writings and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and talk about what it was like, I think God allowed him to have those experiences so he could tell us what it would be like. And he did in the end of his writings and his experiences on this earth as the wealthiest, most powerful king in the world with Wisest more women. king in the world, yeah, ever. And he, he left us this as the sum up of it all. The, the whole purpose of man on this earth is to fear God and keep his commandments. The whole reason is to fear God and keep his commandments. And Dinah said, what was that again? And she had me repeat it. Wow. And we went to a commercial while he was still sitting there saying, boy, he had to be tired. Wow. And that's all he got out of it was, how could I have handled that? Yeah. <laughs> and then I was taking some relish uh, that and now, you know, trying to picture that scene where he's trying to explain his playboy philosophy mm. to Jesus. Yeah. It didn't go over well, I guarantee, but... Uh, he probably has some hand marks on his body. Oh, and then some. <laughs> so I think what's interesting, too, for our audience, or could be interesting for them to know, is just your history with Christian music. I mean, it's... I mean, there's so much. And yeah. 20 or 21 gospel albums yes. inducted into the Gospel Hall of Fame. And we have this here, Pat Boone Legacy, which, uh, which... Which is something you leave to people coming after you, which, of course, was why I named it that. And it's... All all the songs in it, except one my brother wrote and sang, and I added him to it to the album because people weren't even the Gaithers weren't paying enough attention to his outright gospel songs. Sure. So I put it in my album, but the rest of the songs I wrote the words and the music uh, for all of them, and and like Michael W. Smith, have hoped that people would pick up on some of these songs and sing them. Yeah. In uh, worship services, that's what I mean them all of these songs for. They came out of my own worship. Yeah. The first thing in it is came to me on my knees when uh, I was just in worship. And well, and you don't and you don't play an instrument. I don't play an instrument. I don't, don't read write, music or read write music. music. Yeah. So it has to all come to me through me. Yeah. And so I'm on my knees in my morning devotional, and uh, I hadn't told you this, but uh, on my knees, the Holy Spirit, Numa. In uh, Greek, the right, the Hebrew word for him. Okay. And it's breath. It's okay. Trans, it is the, he, the English word, English translation is breath. Yeah. Or spirit, either right. way. Isn't that the first song on here? Uh, yeah, yes. breath. Breathe. Or breathe. breathe is the first and so I, when in my devotionals, I'm talking to the Holy Spirit and I want to take in that breath. The breath of the Holy Spirit. And, um, he is the breath of God. And so as I'm doing, I'm saying, breathe, breathe, spirit, breathe, spirit of the Lord, breathe, breathe, spirit, breathe, wash me. Breathe, 
and I'm just talking to him, but breathing. And it's, so it's not a song as, as much as worship. That's the first part of the, of yeah. the, of the album, but you yeah. can sing it. One that I wrote with, did you get some help from a couple of good musicians named Paganini and Rachmaninoff? <laughs> there's a, there's a theme of theirs. It was Paganini playing variations on a theme originally by Rachmaninoff. Bum, 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 bum. I thought, boy, that's such a beautiful melody. It was in, from an album. I was hearing it, an album of 50 classical melodies yeah. in one album. But that song I checked had no words. So I wrote it about the Holy Spirit. You are not alone. I'm by your side. Though the world may seem dark, I will be your guide. Mm. No matter what you feel. No matter what you see, no matter what you feel, put your trust in me. Know my love is real to comfort and sustain, to shield you from each pain. I am by your side, or you are not alone. And it's a rangy song to sing, but, and I haven't heard anything from Paganini or Rachmaninoff. They haven't. <laughs> haven't denied me the right that's good to use their melody in that <laughs> worship song yeah and so that's what all this is well it's, you called it legacy and legacy. so that is the legacy that you want to leave yeah is worship i mean music written to jesus yeah. music, music yeah. written about god written about jesus is yes. that that other people an accurate description it. yes and then this my most favorite of all is jesus is lord because yeah. Uh, the Bible says that uh, the time is coming when every knee will bow. Yeah. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess Jesus is Lord. Mm. I wanted to do a song called Jesus is Lord. Mm. So I wrote, I've sung so many songs that just say nothing. Oh, they make a rhyme, pass some time away. And though the melodies may leave some people humming, they seldom can remember what they say. I've been searching for a song that has real meaning, with words that someday everyone will sing. And when I took the time to look, I finally found it in God's book. And now this song to me means everything. There are verses to it, yeah. but that's the chorus. And that's the song that I know angels in heaven <laughs> may have sung it already now you you did a hymns album as well you've done two hymns albums oh, i think your yeah. first was 1957 you did a hymns which was your first christian album. yeah and and i also had the first million selling uh, gospel song everybody's going to have religion and glory everybody's going to be singing that story everybody's going to have a wonderful time up there oh glory hallelujah <laughs> and that was a number one song wow and it was presented to me to sing by Randy Wood, the head of this, the, the record company. I said, that's not rock and roll. Isn't, isn't this a rock and roll time? Well, it's got a great beat, so let's do it. Well, it was a... a, a he was right. <laughs> it had a great beat, <laughs> yeah. and it became a number one number one hit song, wow. which I sang. I closed my shows singing Wonderful Time Up There. And people loving, clapping along, Jewish, Christian, whatever they may be or not be. And we're having fun with that song. But yes, then I recorded the first uh, album of hymns that yeah. was a big seller. Yeah. Uh, and it was all church songs. And oh. the teenagers bought it and they yeah. learned those songs from the album. That's fantastic. So we did a recent uh, series called Worship in the Average Church, which has done really well because it reflected a bunch of statistics that a lot of our readers and a lot of our audience didn't necessarily realize. And one of the stats was 69% of churches are still singing from hymnals. Thank God. Right? The revelation we need to have, and in this book, if I felt like God just ordered me to make write this book, it's the corners look singed as if you pulled it out of a book burning. Okay. And took up marking. It didn't. It, it was just a bold white cover, dirty white, and took a marking pen and just scratched if on it. Yeah. And I write up here not religious life or death it too the sign is singed mm. the eternal choice we all must make 
I wanted to say we all are making, but I did say we all must make. It's the choice we have to make. And I, and the word if is in there over 500 times. In and, the Bible. In the Bible. And and every blessing comes with an if. And yeah. I've established that from, from Genesis, when the first if was issued. You have all the blessings in the world. In a perfect world, you're perfectly formed. But one thing, don't eat the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. You don't have to know about evil. There is no evil yet mm-hmm. for you to worry about. So don't eat that fruit. If you do, you die. They ate it, they died. The first human race that that came from that displeased God so much because every thought in man's heart, since they had the right to choose, was evil continually. And he wiped out that whole human race. We don't know how many thousands or millions it might have been. It saved eight people, just Noah, his wife, and three boys and their wives, eight people on the ark and start it over again. God, when he says if, he means it. And that's what I say in the book, in loving but stark way as I can, that now, if you receive Jesus, then you can receive the blessings and eternal salvation. Mm. If you don't, that's your choice. Yeah, You can reject it, you can ridicule it, you can just put it aside. And unfortunately, according to Gallup and Barna now, the posters, Less than half of Americans today go to a church or a synagogue or a temple. They don't read the Bible. They're not interested in reading the Bible. That's why when I wrote, finished writing the book, and the publisher, Thomas Horn, wanted to have endorsements from Franklin Graham and and David Jeremiah and Robert Morris in Dallas, uh, wanted to have recommendations and, and even from Gordon Robertson and Great. No, no, no. I don't want any any references or endorsements from oh. ministers because I'm saying very emphatically to people looking to pick up a book to read, not religious. Oh, good. I'm not interested in religious. But what's that if mean? Well, mm-hmm. when they open it up, first thing I say, who am I to write a book like this? So yeah. I, there's some autobiography and some pictures. Sure. So I establish who I am, that I'm not just somebody off the street or out in the field someplace. Yeah, you've you've lived a little. I've lived a little. I've had quite (laughs) many, many experiences. Just a few. And here's what I've learned and what I want to share with you, that God loves you so much that he wants you to come to heaven with him. When I was with Jack Hayford on our missionary journey together in Japan, I would sing some of my pop songs and then some gospel songs, and then he would preach with the translator. Did you sing some of Jack's songs? I didn't know I, he wanted me to sing my 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 pop songs. Okay. Then, okay. So I, I, did I say I sang gospel songs? I'm not sure if I did. I had a parable God gave me to tell in my part of it, and I talked about the emperor who was still emperor and still in the imperial palace. And once a year, the uh, people just the hoi polloi could come in and mill through the uh, imperial grounds and look up at the palace where the emperor, who they considered God, lives. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And for for one day, that could happen. And so I pictured a man coming through there, looking at the splendid grounds, and then looking at the palace and seeing in the window somebody he recognizes as the emperor. And next to him, is he's talking to somebody. And then he po- seems to point to this guy out there in the garden, the Japanese. And before he knows it, that guy is standing next to him and said, the emperor... Is inviting you to come in. Mm. Would you like to come in to the palace? Well, who wouldn't want to come into the palace? Yeah. And once he's there and the emperor says, I like you, would you like to live here with me? And who would resist that? What Japanese would resist living in the palace with the emperor? And I said, that's who Jesus is. Mm. He is beckoning you. He's pointing to you and inviting you to come in and get to know him, and inviting you to live with him forever. Wow. And they said later that, uh, because it was written about in the papers, and really me as a pop singer, really, yeah. and popular in Japan, said that some 60% of the pu- of the public in Japan knew we were there preaching about Jesus. So, well, in Japan to this day, still one of the most unchurched nations yeah, out yeah, there, so that's yeah. incredible. But having those experiences and, you, you know, music, people say, you think God gave you ain't that a shame and tutti frutti? I said, yeah, I do. Because mm. the Bible says in First Corinthians, he chooses deliberately the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. the wise. Yeah. So that nobody's going to come to them through their supposed wisdom or theological knowledge. No. You, and I even sometimes when I had opportunity, I would say I can see 
you know, business people in the three-piece suits. If Jesus walked into this church today or this auditorium and they, and they had the chance, they'd walk up and say, shake, I admired your work, Jesus. <laughs> uh, no, the Bible says we'll be bowing yeah. on our knees. Yeah. We'll be acting like little children. In fact, he says, except you become like little children, uh, you'll never you'll never know who I am. Hmm. You, a little child, you know, comes to Jesus and they came to him all the time. He says, don't forbid them. Let them come to me. Let them come to me. They're coming to me the way I want you to come to me. Yeah. This album is is a unique album. There's never been one like it. Uh, it, it looks good. The Country Jubilee. We, we, you know, the irony is I'm having a hit record and uh, and nobody's buying records. <laughs> but but we, this is a vinyl record. And, wow. and open it up. Wow. And you see me in the process of singing the song Grits, has, yeah. which has become a big country hit already. And on the back, you see uh, some of the uh, what was happening in the filming of that. Yeah. But this is unique in that since uh, people don't, country artists rarely do each other's songs. Hank Williams is an exception. Okay. Red Foley is an exception. Uh, my father-in-law, uh, his gospel songs. Hank Williams, of course, Kalijah. And your cheating heart and uh, a cold, cold heart. Those yeah. songs, famous by Hank Williams. Many artists have sung those, but uh, these are twenty-six, twenty-five million-selling songs with one edition. Grits. It hasn't sold a million yet, but yet twenty-five yes, <laughs> million-selling hits, but not done by the original artists. Wow, which doesn't happen much in country. I mean, that's really you giving a lot of respect to these and songs. I sing every one of those yeah. songs as yeah. I've sung them over the seventy years of my career. I've been singing these country hits myself in orchestras and background singers, mm -hmm. and singing them with gusto and my whole heart, loving them. And uh, I do. Have you ever passed a corner of Fourth and Grand where a little ball of rhythm owns a shoe shine stand? Chattanooga shoe shine boy, but also. Just a closer walk with thee. Yeah. And there will be peace in the valley. And you did a, that duet. Uh, was it You you and I with Crystal Gale? You and Gale? I with Crystal Gale, Gale recently. Gale. That's the most recent one. And that's on here the as well. Recent million, million seller. Okay. Actually, it was a hit by Crystal Gale and Eddie Rabbit 40 years ago. Okay. Okay. A huge hit. A Grammy winner and million seller. But 20 years ago, Eddie Rabbit passed. And now Crystal Gale, who's still singing beautiful and is beautiful. She and her husband and uh, and the guy who wrote the song said, "Hey, why don't you do re revive that song? It was such a big hit. Yeah, do it with somebody else. Why don't you get Pat Boone and sing that song with him?" Mm -hmm. Well, I was thrilled to do it with Crystal with Crystal Gale, and in the video that we do, she was happy that between the two of us we were honoring my wife Shirley, Shirley. who lived the life. Yeah, she and I that we sing about. 65 years, you Six, said? 67 years 67. now. And we're still living it because even though she's in heaven now, we're still married. Yeah. There's not going to be another Mrs. Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and she's waiting for me. And I think from time to time, nudging Jesus, say, hey, Pat's still trying to do too much. <laughs> uh, have him slow down, would you? I mean, I want him to come here, but not right now because he's still got some other things he wants to do. We honor Shirley in this song, yeah. just you and I. On Spotify right now, it's up to about 80,000 streams fantastic. on Spotify and just getting started. Yeah. Because uh, hardly anybody I ever mention it to that I've recorded just you. And, oh, I love that song. Yeah. They still love that song after mm -hmm. 40 years. So that's in here with Crystal Gale, and it's a single as well. We're putting it out as a single and on vinyl. Good. <laughs> Vinyl's making a comeback. But And you did Grits last night at the Opry. Yeah. How did that feel? It felt great. I was doing it with the Gatlin boys, and they were they featured on my album, yeah, and on my record. I mean, and uh, they were doing their parts that they sang on, with me on Grits. Now I got some theological questions about that. Yeah. You did mention that Grits is the <laughs> what was it the eighth commandment or the eighth, what, Genesis? So God, okay, wait here. Oh, oh yeah, right, right. On the eighth day, on the eighth eighth day, day. God created. Yeah, grits. that's Ray so Stevens. I didn't, I didn't see that in Genesis when I was reading Genesis. Well, I see you need to read it again. Okay, that's all. I, 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 this is my forty-fifth year. All right, to read well, the Bible fair. word for word straight through. All right, so I'm, I'm going to go back. Ray to that. Stevens does say in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth okay. in six days. On the seventh day, He rested. On the eighth day, He created 
Grits. Which is the bestest food there is. Yeah, is the bestest food there is. It's. (laughs) So another question about that. You said it's Tennessee foie gras. Now, I just moved to Tennessee. Uh I want to make sure I fit in. So where does that correlate, grits and foie gras? Like, where did that come from? Well, uh, the two words which came to me in a dream. I, I literally, you were dreaming about I, don't, you don't make fun of it because God gave me these words. All right, forgive me. Literally, literally forgive me. because I dreamed it. I dreamed I had a country hit record. And and as dreams are so funny, you can be dreaming it and reveling in it, and then the thought creeps into your consciousness. Is this a dream or is this real? And as soon as that happens, the dream starts evaporating. But I didn't want to let it go. I took the first verse out of the dream. Grits, grits, bestest food there is. Country caviar, Tennessee foie gras, Haley grits, grits, bestest food there is. You can keep your fancy food or, or whatever. Give me my grits. And we make fun of escargot and, uh, and cracker barrel. Crack, well, cracker barrel. We don't make fun of cracker barrel. Well, kind of. I mean, it's right on the edge. You know, <laughs> yeah, I did they, get a call from cracker barrel. They, they serve grits. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, and so anyway, this thing came to me out of a dream so i just went ahead and finished the song sure and then we got natural musicians and and we sang it together and the great camp compliment came to me from dean miller uh, roger miller's son who wrote dang me and winchester cathedral and and uh and, and all these other uh, uh, king of the road great songwriter dean his son as we were doing this song he was singing it with us said, I can hear my dad writing this song. And <laughs> wow. to compliment me as saying, maybe my dad, Roger Miller, could have written this. No, but God gave me the word. I mean, you mentioned, ask, what is uh, country caviar? Yeah. Well, how would you subscribe? Uh, they were little grains and put together in a way that goes with anything else. It, grits go with anything else. Ham, country gravy. Now, in hotels across the country, shrimp and grits. It's a back. big item, shrimp and grits. Back. So it grits is c- being recognized now as almost as like literally the bread of life, <laughs> of, of physical life, grits. I can kind of see the order here. You've got a real passion for Jesus, a real passion for your wife and family, and a passion for grits. I, and I have a physical appetite. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, of course, then the foie gras, I was explaining this to the French guy hoping to catch my plane uh coming here to Nashville, he was laughing at the words foie gras and, and uh, caviar. said, these are French things, and you're calling grits these things. Well, uh, foie gras, as I understand it, is goose liver. Mm. And where are you going to get geese but on the farm? <laughs> <laughs> and goose liver is, uh, is the most precious part of the goose. Mm. I didn't invent those words. Literally, they came to me in a dream, so I'm wow. going to let them stick. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. Well, the last thing I want to ask you about is Jehoshua. Oh, man. What a, what a special story. I mean, it's based on Simeon, yes. correct? Yes. Who was waiting in the temple. Yeah, that's in a couple Jehovah. of the Gospels, yeah. Luke particularly. Yeah. Let's, let, me, let me hear about that. Where did that come from? Uh, oh, boy, yeah. Well, that? first of all, I was doing on, on TV and Trinity Broadcasting, and, and Carl Gallops was the author who had written a book called The Rabbi Who Found Messiah. Mm-hmm. Rabbi Itzhak Kaduri, 105-year-old rabbi, still living and most revered rabbi. He was revered before Israel was even restored as a nation and was still there. And he came out of, according to the book, he came out of his study on the Day of Atonement to say to his rabbinic students, Messiah has appeared to me. He's told me his name. I've written his name on this piece of paper and I'm sealing it. I don't want it opened until I passed, which will be soon. He was 105. Yeah. Ariel Sharon will pass first. He was in his coma. He'll pass. Then I will pass. And then a year after, open this envelope and you'll know the name of the Messiah, which had happened. He'd written it in his own handwriting. And it, and in English, translates to something like, his word will prove valid and true. But then in this method that was used by David, the psalmist, and others, taking the first letter of each word, spelling something else, mm. it spells the name of the Messiah, which is Yehoshua, which is Jehovah saves, Jehovah is salvation, from which we get the word Yeshua, the one word for salvation. 
the rabbi was not saying, he just says the name is Yehoshua. Mm -hmm. So now I'm with Prime Minister Netanyahu in his office, just he and I, about a year and a half, two years ago. And the rabbi had died. And, and I asked Prime Minister Netanyahu, who, called, who calls me Speedy every time we're together, <laughs> because of Speedy Gonzalez, which he, was, he loved it from the time he was at MIT and learning English and American music, too. So just he and I alone in the office, the prime minister of Israel said, you, you know Rabbi Kaduri? Oh, of course, he was my strongest supporter. I stood in the street with 300,000 other Jews when they blew the shofar at his passing. Why? Are you familiar with the, uh, the controversy since his passing? He didn't seem to be. I said, well, your rabbi has revealed the name of your Messiah in handwriting, and it's on his website. And Netanyahu said, which is? I said, Yehoshua. And I heard the Prime Minister of Israel say, Jesus. Yes. Yeshua. Salvation. He knew it right away. Yehoshua is Jehovah saves. Yeshua is salvation. And that's that's the Messiah's name. And I... and. And and I had forgotten to bring Carter what, what, what did he do after he said he, we, well, he was out of time. I had to leave, and I was going to bring him the book, and I forgot. So I called Carl Gallops the next day. I said, I had met with Netanyahu, and I forgot to bring your book. He said, forget it. The publisher called me just now, and he's ordered 30 copies of the book. <laughs> the prime minister of Israel ordered 30 copies of the book, because he's a Bible scholar himself. Wow. His son twice had won contest in Israel, know your Bible, the Hebrew Bible. But that's where the mistake was made during King James' day when he yeah. had the Bible translated, but divided what he called it. They're all Hebrew scriptures, but divided into what we call the Old Testament, the, you know, Genesis through Psalms and Proverbs and all of it, what we call the Old Testament. And then the New Testament, the Christian part, divided. We've lost sight of the fact from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, all written by Jews, yeah. about Jews, yeah. for Jews, yeah. about happenings in little Israel from whom would come a Savior for the world, himself a Jew, coming first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Mm. And if we had not separated Malachi from Mark, but we had just let them go right, because even in Micah says that Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to come from Bethlehem, Ephrathah. And then, and just go right from Malachi and, and Micah into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, understanding this is all written about Jews. It's Jewish history. It, the Bible would not be divided into two parts. And Christians and Jews would understand, I hope we're coming to understand, mm -hmm. is that, that this whole book is written about Jews and for Jews. And that's why I wear my... Chai and my Magin David Jewish symbols. I don't usually wear a cross, although this is up here too, Salvation Army and Met Mercy Corps. And people know I'm a Christian, but when I'm at the gym with guys, when maybe I, this is all I have on. Yeah. <laughs> Are you Jewish? Yeah. Pat Boone, you're Jewish? Yes. By adoption, I'm adopted into the family yeah. of God's chosen people. Right. And whether they're Arabic or, or Jewish or whatever, I'm just letting them know that, uh, you know, God's chosen people are still his chosen people. Mm. But we Gentiles can become part of that, of his chosen people by receiving the Jewish Messiah. And, and that's what I'm trying to make people aware. So Yehoshua is my song, which is, I've given it a very long-winded introduction, but worth it though. I picture Simeon by candlelight and he, and he says in the song, you, you have to, I have to have, I'm glad that the people that produce Chosen have given us a lot of that footage. Yeah, I saw the footage. To do the, to do the footage in our video, he's studying by candlelight about the Messiah who's coming. But he doesn't sound like the resplendent Solomon or David, but instead a suffering servant. He's wounded for our transgressions. He comes to his own, but his own perceives him not. We won't recognize him when he comes. And yet Simeon would had been promised by the Holy Spirit, he would see and know the Messiah. So he wants to know, how am I going to know him when he comes? And while he's studying, he, he, in one of the verses, he says, I hear about the virgin, I mean, the, the angel who appeared to a virgin. And, uh, and, and the name came, 
and and uh, this is in the verses of this until there's a key change, and you you hear the angels singing over his shoulder, Yehoshua, Yehoshua, Yehoshua. He came unto his own, but they perceived him not, just as old Isaiah had foreseen. But he bore our offenses, and with his stripes we're healed. He gave his sinless blood to make us clean. There just is no other name under heaven by which we can be saved. At his name each knee must surely bow. Yeshua, Messiah, he's waiting at your door. Oh. Won't you receive his love right now? Yehoshua is knocking at the door, as he says in uh, Revelation, the third chapter. I'm knocking. If anyone will open, I'll come in and sup or dine or eat with him. I'll have lunch or dinner with him. Uh, I'll enjoy his meal vicariously with him if you'll let me come in. Mm. I was human. I know what I knew. I was a big eater. I even drank some too, yeah. <laughs> because they called him a glutton and a wine bibber. Right, right. So, all of this is in Luke. It's uh, I, I try to picture it, and I do picture it with the help of the folks who do the chosen. And of course, they haven't gotten yet to the crucifixion and the resurrection yet in that series. Yeah. And I'm hoping that somehow this song may come into into use. Mm. In that, because the chorus sings, "All glory, praise, and honor to the Lamb." Yeah, the one, the Am, the Lamb. He shed His blood to save us, to claim us as His own. That's in the chorus. I'm just hoping that Christians and Jews will be singing it together. Well, it's an incredible song, incredible story. Your faith is an encouragement, to me. Well, good. and I know that it will be an encouragement to anybody who sees this well, or hears this. Then that serves my whole purpose. So I really thank you for that. Thank you for your living your testimony in the way you have. It's it's an honor to sit and chat with you. But more than that, on the spiritual level, it's just an honor to 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 look up to somebody who uh, who has had the life that you've had, but has kept the focus on on the cross on on the King of Kings, and it's just yeah. Well, I, he I, gave me the he gave me the honor. People don't know this, but it's true. It's, you know, you can check it. But I have recorded more separate songs than any other artist in history. Frank Sinatra, 1500. Bing Crosby, my role model, early role model, 2000. But I've recorded 2,600 songs and three in the last year. And I've still got more to come, still more songs. And so for a guy that asked on, on his bed at 16, use me mm. for your purpose. It may not be singing and all that, you know, which I dreamed about, but if, I, if I'll just serve you however you want to use me. Yeah. To to be able to truthfully say I've recorded more songs, separate songs, than anybody in history. And, of course, that includes the 26 or whatever it is, hymn albums. Doing my best singing, thank God, all my best singing is in those gospel albums. Yeah. Yeah, I can say, wop, bop, a loom up, a lot, yeah. bop, bop. I can sing that, too. Sure. And and the rock and roll, even heavy metal songs. But I I went over every lyric with a fine tooth comb, make sure there's no lyric in any of those heavy metal songs. They were actually good songs with big band jazz arrangements, mm. and it it introduced me to another whole generation of young people who didn't know who in the world I was. Sure, <laughs> until I did that heavy metal album. Yeah, but then they can learn whatever else I've sung over the years, which means much more to me than any of the rest. Well, thank you, Pat, for sitting with us and talking with us. Loved it. Thank you. What a thrill. All right, Pat Boone. Thank you, Pat, for sharing your incredible stories with us. There is so much more to Pat Boone, and you can hear some of his latest music and find out where he's appearing next over at patboone.com. 
We'll add links to the songs we featured in this conversation in our show notes over on worshipleader.com. Also, if you haven't done so already, it would really mean a lot to us if you would subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review. All right, until next time, The Walk is brought to you by Worship Leader. I want to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find a collection of faith-centered podcasts about health and wellness, parenting, current cultural events, Bible teachings, and more. So check them out at lifeaudio.com. I'm Joshua Swanson. Thanks for listening. Life Audio. Hello, my name is Rachel Carmen, and I want to invite you to come over and listen to my podcast. It's called Real Refreshment. For years and years as a young mother, I chased after the wind, thinking that the world could offer me the refreshment I longed for. But it was only when I discovered it in the person of Jesus Christ that I really found refreshment. Come on over and join me as we dig into Bible study. I'll see you there.